with you this morning. We are, if you haven't been with us the past couple weeks, we are finishing our sermon series. We've done a three-part series working through Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's pretty much, I won't say it's Moses' last words to the Israelites before entering the promised land, because it's actually, we may be finishing today, what we're actually finishing is the introduction of Moses, of what he's about to say. And so Moses is going to spend uh, the rest of the book of Deuteronomy Rewording uh, the law, he's going to remind the Israelites of the law that God had given to them to help prepare them to enter the promised land. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 32 through 40. And I was actually in the pew, I was trying to figure out how it was going to work into my sermon, and I don't know if I'll be able to. So before I begin the sermon, I'd like to say, an idol on the altar and then propping a gun up against it. So, yeah, I may find a way later, so I may may find you twice the sermon, but I had to get that in before we got serious. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verses 32 through 40. By the way, if you don't know, Belinda and I harass each other, so that's just what we do. Um, It's all in love, though. What's that? Everybody does it. I have gotten that theme in this church. It does seem like there is a lot of harassment going on. Like... I, I'm a firm believer. I speak, uh, you guys have heard of love languages. Mine is sarcasm. Um, so if we get really close, you just have to understand that like, the closer we are, the more I'm going to make fun of you. And if we're really close, I may even do it from the pulpit. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verses 32. Deuteronomy 4, 32. Moses continues, he says, Indeed, ask about the earlier days that preceded you, from the day God created man on the earth and from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything like this great event ever happened, or has anything like it been heard of? Has a people ever heard God's voice speaking from the fire as you have and lived? Or has a God ever attempted to go and take a nation as his own out of another nation by trials, signs, wonders, and war, by a strong hand and an outstretched arm, by great terrors as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? You were shown these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. He let you hear his voice from heaven to instruct you. He showed you his great fire on earth, and you heard his words from the fire. Because he loved your fathers, he chose their descendants after them and brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great power. To drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you in and give you their land as an inheritance, as is now taking place. Today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his statutes and commands which I am giving you today so that you and your children after you may prosper and so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Please join me in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning grateful for this time of worship, grateful for the songs we've been able to sing, and now as we read your word, Father, we pray that you would anoint it in a special way, that you would open our eyes to see what you are doing around us, open our ears to hear what you are saying through your word, that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to our hearts, Father. Allow us to understand what it means as you continue to fulfill your promises to us every day, but the promise that you have called us to be your 
children. Father, we are so grateful. Open our eyes today. Speak through your word with your power. We love you, Lord, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was young in uh, middle and high school, I loved basketball. That was my favorite sport, still is. I was actually halfway decent on it back when I had knees that worked. Um, the army took that from me. Now I get out of bed in the morning and, you know, I, I hobble a little bit. Can't quite do the pivot that I used to be able to do during basketball. But I loved it in high school. And uh, after I graduated, my brother was on the same team that I was. And my brother, what you may not know, is he actually has, was born with a birth defect. Okay? Uh, he has one leg that would get sores and would sometimes start bleeding. And it's a very morbid start. That's not where we're going with this. Okay? But uh, what he had to do was he had to wear a compression sock. And so the sock, you know, he'd wear one sock that was normal and the other sock that would come up to about his knee. And so he's playing on a basketball team. He actually found a sock that matched his jersey. And so he goes out for the first game. He's out there and he has a regular size sock and one bright sock that matches his jersey that comes all the way up to his knee. And the next game, you saw another person come out who had a sock that came up to their knee. By the end of the season, the whole team would come out and they wore one regular sock and one sock that came all the way up to their knee. They all looked ridiculous, okay? But why did they do that? See, I don't know if the team actually knew why my brother did it. It was actually a compression sock. I don't know if they knew it, but all of a sudden, my brother started a fad amongst the school sports teams. And so people were wearing the sock. They didn't have to wear it. My brother did. They didn't have to wear it, but they just kind of wore that sock just so they could be like everybody else, okay? They didn't want to stand out. They thought it was really cool that they all had this special bond. When I joined the military in 2021 and I went away to chaplain school, and they actually have a thing. It's not called chaplain school. It's called Chibullock. It's chaplain school. And so they gather all of us around, and they say, it was about 100 of us who are preparing to be chaplains for the army, and so they say, one of the instructors, he says, is anyone here going to the 82nd Airborne? Three of us raised their hand, and they said, oh boy. And they explained to us the idea that when you go in the military, that there's a certain, and there's a lot of military in here, if you don't understand the phrase I'm about to use, I'll explain it. But they said, if you join the military, you have to drink the Kool-Aid. Okay, anybody heard that term before? Okay. And they said, as a chaplain, okay, if you don't know drinking the Kool-Aid, pretty much, we're not going to go into the history, it's very morbid history, but what it means is you pretty much need to jump in and understand you're going to change. You've got to fit in with everybody around you. And the people who drink the Kool-Aid are the super hua, you know, uh, the people who are like, yeah, we get to go outside, it's going to be 20 degrees and rainy, it's going to be great. Okay, this past week uh, was a 20 degree weather and uh, my religious affairs specialist actually sent me a text message and he says, we're going into the field, it's going to be lit, you should come. <laughs> no, I'm good. Um, anyways, so the, this instructor says, if you're going to the 82nd Airborne, you're going to have to drink some of the Kool-Aid, but as a chaplain, not too much. Both of these stories, I tell these for a reason. We have a tendency to become like the people around us. Okay? When we see something, you know, it, it might be the nice tie, and you see someone with a nice tie, oh, I need to get a tie like that. Okay? My children, every Halloween, they go out and they pick out a costume, and then they're like, whoa, I like that costume. I'm going to be that next year. That's the way we naturally are. We become like the people around us. 
The book of Deuteronomy is written to warn the Israelites not to become like the people around you. Not to become like the people around you. See, so often we do that. We naturally gravitate to people who are like us. And then if you spend enough time around a certain group of people, all of a sudden you start to talk like them. You start to act like them. You start to dress like them. I've already had several people come up to me and say, Pastor Brian, I really enjoy your sermons, but you need to slow down. Okay? And I know that, and I really do try, okay? But why do I talk so fast? Because I grew up up north, okay? Up north, people talk fast. I've also been told that I talk fast even for a northerner, but that's besides the point, okay? This book is written, and this message from Moses is written to the Israelites to warn them, you are about to go into this land. This land is going to be filled with people who do not worship the one true God. And if you're not careful, you're going to be just like them. You'll get closer to them. You'll intermarry with them. They're going to be your best friends, and they're going to invite you to worship false gods, and you'll join That's the message of Deuteronomy. And so as we open up verse 32, Moses is concluding this introduction. Again, it's our conclusion. It's him just getting started. Okay? But in verse 32, he says, Indeed, ask about the earlier days that preceded you, from the day God created man on the earth, and from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything like this great event ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has a people ever heard God's voice speaking from the fire as you have and lived? Or has God ever attempted to go and take a nation as his own out of another nation by trials, signs, wonders, and war, by a strong hand and an outstretched arm, by great terrors as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? He's saying, imagine, look around, has anything like this ever happened? Remember the Israelites that came out of Egypt, and we're going to focus on Sinai in a little bit. We're actually going to read the passage. I've referenced that a lot. Um, But we're going to talk about some of the things that they've seen. And God's message through Moses is, have you ever heard of anything like this happening before? This is the one and only time. Have you ever heard of a God have a personal relationship with people who pulled people out? Now, we can say yes because we live in a great age where the church of God has spread all over the world. Praise God. But rewind back to the time of Moses, okay? The world isn't that old at this point. There are false gods. The Egyptians are worshiping these false gods, and they have a god for everything. I've talked to my kids about that. We're watching uh, Percy Jackson, if you guys have known that. It's all about Greek gods. And some people are like, don't watch that. No, I want to teach my kids about that, okay? My kids understand very clearly that there's gods, and then there's God, okay? I don't want them to be confused there. And so hopefully I'm not confusing them. I'm teaching them. That's my plan anyway. Okay? And so we've watched that, and you watch Hercules, you see, you watch anything about ancient Egypt, and they have a god for the sun, and they have a god for the stars, and they have a god for fire, and they have a god for sand, and they have a god for animals, and they have a god for death, okay? And they have all these different theological beliefs, but none of them could claim to have a personal relationship with the gods that they worshipped. 
And that's the same story all throughout history. Find another religion that is not related in some way to Christianity where people go through and believe, you know what, I have this personal relationship with the one true God of the universe. Moses says, has this ever happened? Has anybody ever been able to come close to God and have a personal relationship with him and believe that the one true God has brought them out as his own personal people? Do you remember what happened in Egypt when you were slaves? Okay, remind back to the last time you read Exodus or watched the Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt or whatever your movie of choice that deals with us, okay? Rewind back to that and imagine what that would have been like to experience that. I hope that God has had a, a personal, lasting impression on you. I hope that you have this point that you go back to your life and be like, you know what God has done for me, Okay? At least, hopefully, if you have accepted Christ, you have your salvation experience. Some of you have incredibly drastic things where God has literally saved your life, where you had a near-death experience, or God repaired your marriage or your family, or, or you know, you have something where you say, you know what, God stepped down in a mighty way. Let me tell you about it. See, when exciting stuff happens in our lives, we like to talk about it. Imagine the Israelites Imagine the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt, watched God deliver them with a mighty hand. The Egyptians openly cursed God, not all of them, but most of them, openly cursed God to his face. The Pharaoh openly, openly, uh, over and over again, rebelled against the one true God. The Israelites are victorious. This nation of slaves, okay, this nation of slaves with no weapons, no military force, defeat, defeat, okay, we know it was God, okay, defeat the most powerful nation in the world. These plagues come upon the nation of Egypt. They're led out of, the wilder, uh, out of Egypt to the Red Sea. They're faced with imminent death, and God parts the sea, brings them through it. Then they see God in his power and might upon Mount Sinai. Do you think that that might be a story worth telling? And yet, you know what we find in Scripture? They don't. They don't. Look at Judges chapter 2. If you open up the book of Judges chapter 2, keep your finger there because we're coming back to Deuteronomy. But Judges chapter 2. So fast forward, God has officially brought them into the promised land. They've conquered most of it. Some of it was not conquered because of the Israelites' rebellion and their sin. But they've conquered most of it, okay? They actually are semi-established in the promised land. Then something happens. Joshua dies. Judges chapter 2, look at verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Ares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. Okay? Fancy word meaning they died. Okay? That generation passes away. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. Now understand, this is not four, five, six generations later. Joshua, who was a witness to everything that happened in Egypt, all throughout the wilderness, passes away, and a generation rises up, and they have no recollection of what God has done for the nation of Israel. 
This is what Moses is purposely reminding them of. Has this ever happened before? Have you ever heard a story or seen a case where God, where God, um, or people ever heard God's voice speaking from the fire as you haven't lived? Has that ever happened before? Have you ever heard a story, or has a God ever attempted to go and take a nation as his own out of another nation? You know what the story of the ancient gods were? Maybe if you build them a temple and offer sacrifices, maybe if you do something a certain way, hopefully they won't smite you. They might even help you out once in a while. But you're not going to have a personal relationship with them. Because the day after they help you, you might screw up, and guess what? You're going to pay for it. Okay? The most personal interaction they had with these gods, gods, little g, is that they might be destroyed by them. None of them had this personal relationship that says, oh, Ra, you know, he loves me and cares about me. I talk to him on a regular basis. It doesn't exist. Never had. Has that ever happened before? Look at verse 35. Verse 35. You were shown these things. Nobody else has ever experienced before. You were shown these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. He let you hear his voice from heaven to instruct you. He showed you his great fire on earth, and you heard his words from the fire. He says, you have this special experience with the one true God. What are you going to do about it? Is that going to shape the way that you live your life? Are you going to let people know? Or are you just going to keep that to yourself? Unfortunately, we have the spoiler alert. They're going to keep it to themselves but not for lack of Moses trying. Not for Moses when he says, if you want to go into the promised land, if you want to live at peace, if you want to enjoy everything that God has promised you, you know what you do? You remember the one true God. Remember what he has done in your life. Look at Exodus chapter 19, and we are going to take this time. Every sermon over the past uh, three weeks, I've mentioned the Sinai experience, and we passed over it because we haven't really had time to go into it. But understand how important that was. Understand how foundational this was in Israel's history. During Jesus' time, time they're still going to be referring back to the Sinai experience. Look at Exodus chapter 19. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 19. So God has brought them out of Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai. And God has told the Israelites, he says, you are going to meet with me. But he says, Moses, first, you need to go to them, and you need to consecrate them. What's that mean? It means they don't just walk into the presence of the one true God. It means they're going to prepare for this. And so what they did, they washed themselves, they cleaned up, okay? They got ready to go before us. They acted in a certain way. They dressed a certain way. It says, God, uh, God says to Moses, make sure that these people are ready, because they're going to meet with the one true God. And you come to 19, they've given three days to prepare. Psalm 9, uh, sorry, Psalm, Exodus 19, verse 16. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a loud trumpet sound, so that all people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. 
Okay? I don't remember that in any of the Ten Commandments movies. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. Has this ever happened before? Look at verse 20, verse 18. You see the people's response. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. It says, All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses, Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Why didn't, could God have spoken in a more solemn way? Absolutely. We have a passage where God spoke through a whisper, right? If you remember, there was the fire, there was a strong wind. God speaks through a whisper. God didn't need all the theatrics. Why did God come down in such an amazing show of his power and might? It actually tells us. Because God wanted to make an impression on the Israelites. It says, God has done this to test you so that you will not sin. This is supposed to be their encounter with the one true God. And when they leave that place, they should have a little bit of almost, almost a scar, almost this memory of the power of the one true God who spoke to them out of the fire on the mountain. And the people tremble and they say, no, 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 not again. Moses says, don't worry. That is the power of God, but it's not come to destroy you. It's come so that you will see the one true God and that you'll live. Has this ever happened before? Have you ever seen anything like this, Israelites? And the answer, uh, Moses doesn't wait for an answer. The answer is, of course not. No, we've never seen anything where God reached down and had a personal impact in the lives of a nation. We chose a nation out of another nation to be his own. That doesn't exist in theology back then. It only exists in the one true God. Verse 37. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 37. Because he loved your fathers, he chose their descendants after them and brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great power. To drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you in and give you their land as an inheritance as is now taking place. Why? Why? Do you understand when you read this story, why does God spend so much time doing this? Do you realize, have you ever thought of that before? Take this out of the individual stories that you learn throughout Sunday school. Take these out of the individual readings. See, that's the problem is we read these in like paragraphs and chapters, and these are meant to be read as books, okay? Take that out and understand this chronologically, what God has done for the nation of Israel. From the very beginning, he pulls out Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. You're going to be my people. You know how long it took Abraham to fall short on his part of the deal? Not long. Read through the story of Abraham. He moves to Isaac, and God says, your descendants are going to be my people. Isaac, far from a per perfect person. Jacob, your descendants are going to be my people. Joseph, your descendants are going to be my people. 
Fast forward, they go to Egypt, okay? And God is still making that promise. He leads them. He starts to rescue them out of Egypt. And what do the people do? They complain. God finally brings them out of Egypt. What do the people do? They complain. Brings them to the Red Sea. Oh, we were better off in Egypt. They complain. God brings them through the Red Sea. They say, we're hungry. Okay? God gives them food, and they say, we're thirsty. God gives them water, and they say, we're tired of the food you've been giving us. Over and over and over. And at some point, we think the God of the universe has better things to do. Why is God taking this time to pour out, to pull this people out who continually fall short, who continually don't do what the one true God has commanded? God says you can have a personal relationship with your one true God. Here's how you need to live. And the people fall short almost immediately. God says when you do fall short, here's the sacrifices you offer. Why? And we have the answer in the first part of this verse. Look at 37. Why is God doing all this? Because he loved your fathers. Why would the God of all the universe? In fact, we have a psalm that says pretty close to the same thing. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, then heaven and stars that you put into place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What am I that the God of the universe cares about me. See, there's a logical thing here. I consider myself a pretty logical person, and I struggle with this because it makes no logical sense. Except that God has an all-consuming love for his people. And so God says he loved your fathers Because he loved your fathers, he chose their descendants after them and brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great power. He took this no-name person in the middle of nowhere and said, I'm going to multiply you. You're going to become my nation. The nation becomes slaves in Egypt, and God says, well, you're multiplied, but you're not free. And so he frees the people. He brings them out because of his love for his people. He loved your fathers. He chose their descendants after them and brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great power to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you in and give you their land as an inheritance as is now taking place. Notice all we've been talking about is the past. Do you see what Moses just did here? He's doing something that's kind of peculiar. He's talking about the future as though it's the past. Okay? Don't miss that. He says, remember, God brought you out of Egypt. He showed you his great power, his divine presence, and he brought you into the promised land. Wait, they're not in the promised land yet. They're getting ready to go in the promised land to drive out nations that are greater and more powerful than you. Okay, God is spoiler alert. He's ruining the story for them. He's saying, oh, by the way, when you go in, you're going to find a bunch of nations there that you can't handle. They're going to be greater than you. They're going to be more powerful than you. But you are going to go in and you are going to be victorious. Why? Because God had a plan. One of my favorite speeches in the Bible is from uh, David and Goliath. And it's sad because when we learn David and Goliath, we don't normally get David's speech. Do you remember that story? 
where Goliath makes this uh, broad challenge, and he says, sure, send out a champion. And David volunteers. Everyone says he's crazy. Saul dresses him up in his own armor, but David's a little boy. He can't move, okay? So he takes off the armor. He goes in his normal shepherd's clothes. He takes his staff. He stops at a little creek, picks up some rocks, and walks up to Goliath. And Goliath, he thinks this is a joke. He says, what am I, a dog that you come at me with a stick? Do you remember what David says? He says, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom you have blasphemed. He says, Goliath, you picked a fight that you can't handle, and it's not with me. Moses' message is, you're about to go into this land. God is going to give it to you. There will be opponents there. They're going to be bigger, stronger, badder than you. But you will be victorious. Why? Because God has called you to this land. He promised it to you. You can't handle them, but they can't handle me. That's the message of Moses to the Israelites. It says, as long as you side with God, what does Scripture say? If God is for us, who can be against us? As long as you remain faithful, there's no one who can stand in your way because I have ordained it. Today, recognize, verse 39, today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his statutes and commands which I am giving you today so that you and your children after you may prosper and so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. He says, today, Israelites, and again, Moses is just getting started. He's going to go through the whole Ten Commandments again. He's going to go through all these different laws that he's already given once. Moses is going to remind them. And so the message that Moses gives is, don't forget He says, you have been chosen by the one true God of all the universe. If he's called you to it, then it's going to happen. What do you have to do? Okay, remember, the original command that God gave was in the form of a a covenant, okay? The closest we have to a covenant in our society is a contract agreement. The idea is, if I will do this, you will do this. God says, you will be my people, I will be your God, I will strengthen you, I will protect you, I will bring you into the promised land, but you must follow me. Moses says, keep your part. Follow him with all your heart, with all your soul. And when you seek God, he will be found. He has a plan for you. This morning, God has a plan for you. You may not realize that Belinda did a great job. I'm just amazed. I'm not going to turn from praising God to praising Belinda. But I'll just say, I'm just amazed at the way I give her like the sermon title in scripture. And she always has a story that is like better than any of my analogies. Okay. And like she did such a great job because what is the point? How does this apply? The fact that God chose the Israelites of all the people of the world. Do you realize that the God of all the universe chose you? He has called you to be his own. He has given you the privilege of becoming a child of the one true God. In a world full of distress, God has promised you and said, I will give you peace and I will give you hope. Come to me. What does the scripture say? Come to me, all you who are weary. 
and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He loved you so much. Earlier we mentioned, why would God bother? That wasn't even the heart of it. God stepped it up so much more. Not only did he lead them out, not only did he cause plagues, not only did he destroy the entire nation, do you realize that is minuscule compared to sending his only son to be born, not as a king, not in a palace, as a tiny, poor baby with the ultimate goal of dying a horrific death on the cross. Why? So that you could be forgiven of your sins. So that you could have a relationship with the one true God. And he didn't stay there, because I love that. If we say that, that just sounds terrible. And it is terrible. But it also says that because of that, you know what's going to happen? That one day, because of what Jesus did, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. In fact, there's a great song by Phillips, Craig, and Dean, and it throws that whole verse in it. It says, one day every tongue will confess you are God, one day every knee will bow, but still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly serve you now. This morning, you're faced with a choice. This morning, the God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you, and you're going to have to choose, nope, I'm just going to go on my way. I don't like the idea of a God, you know, just having say over the way that I live my life. We're going to say, you know what? There's a God who loves me. There's a God who has a plan for me. This morning, I choose to commit myself to him. I choose to cry out to the God of the universe to thank him for loving me, to thank him for sending his son to die on the cross for my sins, and to cry out to him for mercy and grace. And he promises every time that he'll forgive. You can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, but will you choose to this morning? Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, we come before you grateful for your word, grateful for Deuteronomy chapter 4, for the message that we received over the past few weeks, the fact that there is one God. We see all kinds of imitations. We see all idols. We see these religions who are trying to create gods that suit their own needs and purposes and wants, but we know that there is only one, and then it's you. Father, we ask for you to pour out your blessing, pour out your spirit upon this place. I know there are people here this morning who don't have a relationship relationship with you, Father, and I pray that you would open their eyes to how awesome it is, how amazing you are, how incredible it is to have the privilege of being called your child. Lord, move in this place this morning for those who are maybe being called to something else, whether it be baptism, whether it be church membership, maybe they just need to recommit themselves to you, Father. I pray that they would make that decision, that they would follow you in obedience this morning, that you would move in a mighty way in this place. Father, have your way in this place today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.